As we begin this morning, I encourage you to open up your Bibles or open up your bulletin to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we also have uh, space, I believe, in our bulletin for uh, notes that you can take. Uh, so Matthew chapter 18, we encourage you to open up your Bibles to that. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text is from Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As you're finding your way towards Matthew chapter 18, I am actually going to introduce us to something from Genesis chapter 4, a man named Lamech. Lamech is apparently a singer, and he sings this song to his wives in Genesis 4, verses 23 to 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilhah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech sings a song of revenge to his wives, boasting about how he took out somebody who tried to come against him. And as you might have guessed, his wives were definitely impressed with that, right? It's impressive to sing a song about your own vengeance. And yet, if you've ever been driven to take revenge against somebody, you might know that when you do, all of a sudden you have a story that you're compelled to tell. You share your story of how you finally got somebody who's been getting you for a long time, and then you look for that smile, that nod, that laugh, any hint of approval from that other person. And if you don't get that, then you might actually be kind of upset wondering, what is that person's deal? The reason why this happens is because if you ever do get revenge on somebody, maybe that completes your relationship with them, maybe. But even so, a new struggle begins. That struggle is a need to justify what you have done. And you will look for that justification and approval from other people. And so we have a guy named Lamech singing to his wives about how he got somebody who tried to come at him. And so we also find ourselves singing that same song through telling stories and bragging about our own greatness while actually revealing our smallness. But there is a better way. Forgiveness keeps the heart alive. There is an ancient monster in Greek mythology named Medusa, probably heard of her. She was cursed by Athena so that whenever she looked at somebody, she would turn them into stone. And she took her vengeance out on many people with her powerful glance. However, I think whenever we fall into the pit of being unforgiving, we actually pull what I call a reverse Medusa. We pull a reverse Medusa. That is, whenever we see the face of our enemy, we turn ourselves into stone. And so, it happens like this, perhaps. You see another person coming, and you avoid them. You ignore them. This is the person that has hurt you. You shut them out. You turn away. You don't answer their phone calls or even hear any attempt from them to apologize. You're just not hearing that at all. And we should note, of course, that there is a difference. There are times where it actually is the sanctified or the righteous thing to say, I am really trying to forgive you, but that's just really hard right now. So it's going to take some time, or 
I can't talk to you at this moment. I maybe later. Sometimes it's okay even to end a relationship if things have gotten toxic or things have become repetitively abusive, either verbally or, or Lord have mercy, hopefully not physically. But there's a difference between those things and an unforgiving silence. And yet we perceive a kind of righteousness to that. Whenever we completely shut somebody out, after all, whose mother hasn't told them that if you can't say something nice, work passively, aggressively against that person until you're tired, right? Isn't that how the saying goes, I think? So we see the person coming, and as we do, we continue to hold that grudge that maybe we haven't taken out against them directly because maybe you're not that kind of person. You're not the revenge type of person. But whenever you see that person, you turn away. You harden your stance against them. And when you do, your heart also becomes hard. And so when you see the face of your enemy, you do a reverse Medusa and you turn yourself into stone. But there is a better way. Forgiveness keeps the heart alive. Way back in the 1980s, yes, way back in the 1980s. There was a, a movie, or a series of movies called Karate Kid, that sequence. And recently I discovered that that story has continued through a show on Netflix called Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai features two of the main characters from the Karate Kid series, Johnny and daniel Sun, right? And Johnny is actually the main character, and Johnny opens up a karate dojo. And he's the rough around the edges karate instructor. And so in teaching his students a lesson about how hard it is in life to keep moving forward, he has his students climb into the barrel of a cement truck that's mostly empty, but still has some cement sitting inside of it. And their task is to turn that cement truck before the cement turns hard. And with great effort, a few of the students do actually accomplish this. They are able to get the barrel turning, and so the cement stays wet, and it doesn't harden, and the students climb out. Johnny congratulates them and says, your parents would be proud of you if they saw what you did today, but they're never going to find out because you're not going to tell them. <laughs> Point is, our hearts are much like cement mixers. They are prone to harden, especially whenever we have an offense against us. It takes somebody who is willing to crawl inside to keep the heart pumping. Thanks be to God that Christ has done that exact thing. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, a prayer that that the Spirit might come upon the church, his people, and that Christ might dwell inside of the hearts of every believer to keep them rooted in love. Forgiveness keeps the heart alive. Every parable of Jesus has some random crazy detail to it that catches your attention and really throws you off. Things start off normal. For example, a farmer went out and sowed seed in his field. That's a thing farmers do, right? But in the parable of the sower, Jesus also talks about how a farmer went out and sowed seed among rocky ground and thorny ground, threw it on the road even. How many of you had to run over corn as you were driving down the road to 
get here. Some of you from the Midwest have run over corn, but it wasn't on the road. And so this farmer goes and he plants, and most of the locations he chooses are crazy. And today's crazy parable detail is brought to you by the phrase 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. If you have your Bible still open to Matthew chapter 18, you can read about that in verse 24. There was a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and he brings forward this one servant who owes him, in verse 24, 10,000 talents. It's hard to get an idea of how much money that is, but let's just put this in perspective. Most would agree that a talent is worth at least one year's salary. One talent is worth at least one year's salary. So this man owed him 10,000 years of salary. How does one accumulate such debt? The answer is obvious. He works in the government. But anyhow. <laughs> anyhow. How does one even do that? And yet, when he is brought forward and told that he must pay, he is threatened with being sold into slavery. He and his whole family and the servant falls on his knees and begs the master to forgive. He says even that, that I will pay you everything. When? <laughs> when will he pay him everything? He owes him 10,000 years of salary. When will he pay him everything? And yet the most absurd detail in the parable is still to come. And it happens like this. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The word in Greek is not quite captured by pity. The word in Greek is splangizomai, kind of a fun word to say. Pity doesn't really sum it up. R.T. France, in his commentary on Matthew, translated it like this. The king's heart went out to him. The king's heart went out to him. The king was actually moved to compassion, an active, taking action, doing something, sort of compassion, a heavy set of emotions that lifted the king off of his feet, and he forgave the debt. We should note here that this puts the king in most situations, in most kingdoms, in really dangerous territory. The king probably has his own creditors, and there are those around the king that records should be kept and debt should be paid, and they might be angry enough to find out that this king forgave a debt of this size that they might even want to kill him. And so the servant then leaves and he goes off and he finds somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. And if we're, since we're translating currency, a hundred denarii is about three to four months wages. It's about three to four months wages. And he chokes that servant, demands payment from that servant, and has that servant thrown in prison. Well, of course the king finds out about this, and he throws that first servant in jail, revokes the forgiveness that was given to him in the first place, throws him in jail. What happened? Well, the servant who had that massive debt didn't take the inflow of forgiveness and send it out into the world. In order for the heart to keep pumping, it needs blood to go in and it needs to send blood out. And this servant's heart died because it didn't send out the forgiveness that he had received. 
And I should say that this parable highlights a number of things. It, it, it highlights the great mercy of God who will forgive 10,000 years worth of debts, 10,000 years worth of sins. But it also pinpoint for, pinpoints for us, I believe, our exact problem with forgiveness. You see, that amount, 10,000 years of debt, is unfathom, unfathomable. That's hard to say. Uh, Jesus, the king here, forgives this huge debt. And Jesus forgives our debts, this great debt that we owe him. Sins that we have committed, sins that we don't realize we've committed. Every hour we sin, every minute we sin, and Jesus has forgiven that. The, the amount of forgiveness is so big that we wear ourselves out even thinking about it, and so it becomes hard to get our minds around that. However, it is very easy to understand three to four months worth of wages, isn't it? That's easy. That's maybe a few thousand, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. That's a number you can calculate. That's a number you can comprehend. <laughs> And so we cannot comprehend the forgiveness that Jesus has given us for our sins, but we can comprehend that one thing that one person did to you 10 years ago. That is much easier to understand. And so we know exactly what was said, what was done, how it was said and how it was done. And we have processed it and reprocessed it and been through it time and time and time again, haven't we? We've thought about all the ways that it was unjustifiable and wrong correct? And so then we understand the one thing that was done, while we cannot comprehend the great forgiveness that we have received. And yet this also highlights an opportunity for us in our struggle with forgiveness. Because here we learn exactly how hard forgiveness is. How have you wrestled with one thing? And yet Christ has forgiven all. And how also was it for Christ who felt everything? Who felt the sins that were done against you? Who knew the pain and the hurt because he experienced it himself? That one thing that you're still struggling with, he felt in his heart on the cross as he died for you and also that person. The one heart of Jesus beat in agony over each action taken, not just against him, but also against you. And it killed him. And yet that great forgiveness that was won also produced an outflow of Christ sprang out of the tomb. This one has not left you alone in your struggle for forgiveness. He has not merely commanded something. Jesus doesn't command something without making it possible. And so then for us, Christ makes forgiveness possible. Because now, right now, tens of thousands of debts that you owe have been forgiven. Each thing, each individual thing that you have done has received Christ's forgiveness. And not only that, but also the entire church has been praying for you, that you might be empowered to forgive, praying to the God who listens. They have been praying for you since even before you held your grudge by these words, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Take in that prayer and the strength of the church that flows behind it. Take in the stories that Christ has filled this world with, the stories of forgiveness, the broken marriages that you've seen in your experience that have come back from the brink, the friendships that have been healed, the conflict that, have, that has happened in church where people have been restored, where victims have forgiven their abusers. Take these things in along with that great inflow of mercy that Christ has given to you personally. And see now, Jesus' words are actually possible. In Matthew 16, he says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you free up on earth will be freed up in heaven. The words of forgiveness that you have spoken are effective, and they do bring forgiveness. And I want to highlight that because I know that there are so many people who struggle because they thought they forgave a person at one point and then there was a memory that came back to them or they saw that person again or that person hurt them again and they suddenly wonder if they've ever forgiven at all. Yet when you spoke the words of forgiveness, it bore Christ's promise and his grace behind it. When you said you are forgiven, that person was indeed forgiven. What might be happening is that your heart and your emotions are still wrestling with the reality of the forgiveness you have given, but that doesn't make it any less real. What you have said has been backed by Christ and by the Holy Spirit. We might still need to be sanctified and we might still need to wrestle against our anger and our resentment for another person, lest we fall back into unforgiveness. But we shouldn't be surprised when our emotions aren't completely sanctified either. So it is Christ who has crawled inside of our very wicked and hard hearts and has allowed them to beat again. It is his blood that flows in and it is his blood that flows out to your name. Christ, in his great mercy, keeps the heart alive.